Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, what is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat Podcast. If you've been listening to the show over the past several weeks or what have you, you'll have noticed that I have not been around. But this is my uh, first show back, and we are doing things just a little bit differently for the for the preview episode. We have the uh, we have this upcoming game between the Bills and the Giants. And really thought this would be a good time to do one of these live rooms, just so that way we can go over essentially what uh, what was happening in the Jags game, what's to come in the Giants game, maybe how the Bills operate from this point forward. And you know, I figured open it up to the panel here. So if you have any questions whatsoever, just drop them in uh, in the in the comment section right on uh, right on this live room area here on the Athletic app, and we can. Get this thing rolling. So the Bills, of course, coming off their twenty-five to twenty loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars, it uh, did not go according to plan. It was one of those games that was, I'm sure, frustrating to to watch for a lot of different reasons um, for fans, and certainly losing two of their top defenders as this whole thing got going. Uh, in Matt Milano and Daquan Jones in the first quarter, not exactly ideal for uh, for the Bills and and what they wanted to do this season in 2023. Because the way that it was setting up is that this team looked like they were a complete team, right? Like they had everything, all their ducks in a row. The defensive line was playing at a crazy high level. The uh, you know they were getting some huge performances. Even out of the out of the normal performances that we saw from guys like Daquan Jones, they had him go from this run defending magnet magnate from last year to becoming this overall one of the best pass rushers from the defensive tackle position in in the NFL. It's not something that they necessarily expected, but. Heck, they, they took it. And then Matt Milano, of course, we all know who Matt Milano is. And seeing those two guys playing as well as they were, along with the rest of the defense, and in turn the offense, getting things going over weeks two through four, had a lot of people feeling like, okay, this is a complete team, and this is a Super Bowl caliber team. I mean, I, you know, you would be lying to yourself if you didn't think that over their three-game winning stretch. So now... The equation kind of changes a little bit. The math changes. And uh, that's where the Milano loss, we don't know how long Sean McDermott didn't shut it down as as to who would, um, how they would, uh, how they would move on. They He didn't shut down the idea of either Milano or Daquan Jones returning at some point this year. Um, said the door isn't completely shut. Doesn't sound wholly promising, but it's one of those, so you're telling me there's a chance sort of deal. So I I would kind of anticipate that maybe Daquan Jones has a little bit better of a chance, but you know, I guess we'll have to see once we get into November, December, January, that that sort of time. So we're gonna open it up to to questions because I'm sure there's a lot of them out there based on what happened with the Jags. Uh I will say thank you to everyone right at the beginning of of this chat here to say welcome back and that you're really happy to have me back. It's great to be back. Um I was away for great reasons. Obviously the uh the birth of my son, uh he turned he turned 1 month old today. So um it that was a really cool experience and being able to cover the beat and with a little bit of a different lens. So I I want to thank you all for 
you know, really welcoming me back with open arms. So from there, let's get back to Bills, right? So Grant writes, should our expectations about this season drastically change based on all that has happened? I think yes and no. Um, And I know that's kind of a half answer, Grant. But when you look at how they can, like their, their overall talent level, the one thing that has remained unchanged from week four to week six is the fact that their offense is really healthy and they're playing at a really high level. And I know the Jaguars game was frustrating, everything like that. But if you took a look at um, my All-22 article that I posted over, uh, I believe it was on Wednesday, I kind of broke down what I saw from the offense. And it didn't, to me, appear as though there was like a skeleton key that, that the Jaguars use to unlock this defense that's going to give the Bills offense problems. I think the Bills, for the most part, got in their own way through the first three and a half quarters of that game. And listening to the guys kind of address that sort of thing and listening to them talk about some of those missed opportunities, it makes you think they're kind of on the same page here. There are a couple of times where there is a tip of the hat to the Jaguars and how they schemed up their defense, specifically on third downs. There was this one where uh, they did something that the Bills like to do. They did the double-A the gap mug where they had the two linebackers over the center. They had their defensive linemen kind of spread out. The, the offensive line didn't really exactly know where it was coming from. Josh Allen didn't have a, a back in the backfield to help protect. And the Jaguars dropped two on one side back into coverage. They overloaded the, the younger side, which was Spencer Brown and Osiris Torrance, and they had two free rushers going at Josh Allen, created a, a fourth down. So that was a, a tip of the cap. But the rest of the time, it was like drops and missed assignments on the offensive line that had not really been a huge issue to this point in the season so far. So because the offense is still, in my opinion, playing at a really high level, and we saw glimpses of it down the stretch against the Jaguars where they kind of woke up a little bit, they seemed asleep at the beginning of that game. And I know someone had... Blame it on the travels. Some want to blame it on, you know, maybe just some poor execution and drops. But whatever the case was, they they were asleep at, at the beginning of that game. But the good news is, I think this offense still has a lot going for them. The offensive line, even though they took some penalties, I still thought they they played a really good game against the Jaguars for the most part. And they've had a really good start to the season so far. And that's that's an encouraging aspect, especially when you have Josh Allen uh, requiring as much time as, as he needs. So that's the offense side, Grant. That's why I wanted to, uh, I wanted to start there. The thing, that's, that's the yes to the part of should the expectation, or I'm sorry, that's the no part of the should the expectations about the season drastically change. I think where the answer turns to yes a little bit is that it's just going to be a little bit different because I don't know that this is going to be one of those years where that we've seen in the past where Josh Allen and the offense, if they just don't have it one week, then the defense can bail them out. I don't know that that's going to be able to be the case uh, from this point forward. And I know it's, it's uh, there's, there's going to be some games where they do better. And, and obviously if they're going up against a, a Giants team, that's as riddled with injuries as they are. Giants probably aren't going to put up a ton of points, but against the better offenses, I think it might force the offense and Josh Allen to go more into this uh, scorched earth, go nuclear mode, as opposed to trying to, you know, knowing that the defense could always pick them up if, if they're down. I have a lot of big questions about how this run defense is going to look, particularly right up the middle. Um, Daquan Jones was such an important piece to that run defense and how he was able to hold up against double teams, how he was able to get into the backfield, how he was able to free up his defensive linemen and linebacker teammates. That's gone because now it's one of Jordan Phillips, Tim Settle, or Puna Ford subbing in. And all three of those guys struggled from what I saw against the run in the times where they were given those reps. So that's a legitimate issue. And then on top of things, 
what's going to happen. Like Terrell Bernard to me has made some really flashy plays. I've noticed he gets caught up in traffic a bunch and uh, against the run specifically. And so I think that might yield some plays. Jordan Poyer hasn't looked totally like his normal self. And that run support that they got from him isn't immediately there. So it's just this, this kind of problem right up the middle. So I think teams are going to be able to run against the Bills, which is why it creates this different sort of scenario. Can the Bills win the Super Bowl with what they have on their roster without Matt Milano and Daquan Jones? I think they can because they have a pass rushing piece and they do have some encouraging younger players on the defensive side that can bring up their ceiling a little bit. But by and large, it all revolves around the offense and them being able to, uh, them being able to, you know, just bring it almost every single week. I think that's one of those seasons that maybe has been missing from Josh Allen's resume a little bit. And I think this is a really great opportunity for him to cement himself, uh, not only as one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but uh, possibly even the best quarterback in franchise history if if things go the way that I think they're going to. So um, Josh Allen and the offense has a big task ahead of them. I think they know it, but I think they have the pieces to be able to do it. The offensive line is a huge upgrade from what it was last year. So that's why I still think that this team has a legit chance to fulfill some of those expectations that people had um, heading into this season. So thanks for your question, Grant. Long-winded answer. First show back in a while. I apologize, but uh, uh, I'll I'll try to keep my answers shorter from here on out. All right. Uh, Brent writes in, first off, congratulations on the birth of your child. Second of all, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, Lastly, if the Bills could trade one player off the roster and trade for one player, who would they be and why? Now, what's what's interesting is the trade deadline is is popping up uh, later this month, and over at the athletic, we actually had to fill out okay one player that that could be had via trade on each roster that that you cover. And my simple answer to that was Kyrie Elam, and not in the sense of how you're thinking, like just to oh get him off the roster um, because he didn't show well against the Jaguars. It, it did not go well for him. Let, let's just not not beat around the bush there, but. I think if they could, I don't think that they necessarily are going into the trade deadline thinking, thinking, okay, we need to get Kair Elam off this roster. But if they can use him as a trade chip to try and elevate one of those positions that may have a weakness, whether it be defensive tackle, linebacker, cornerback, I'm sure something else is going to pop up before the trade deadline gets here. If they can use him, that's something that we saw the Bills do last year with Zach Moss, right? Like Zach Moss was a piece of that Naheem Hines deal, which in retrospect does not look great based on how Zach Moss is running. But the Zach Moss that is running in Indianapolis right now is not the Zach Moss that they saw in Buffalo. So maybe he just needed that little spark of a team to give up on him to, uh, to develop into what he has so far this season. So, so good on Zach Moss for kind of turning it around, but that's the type of deal that maybe I could see where Kair Elam is, is someone that, that you look at as, as far as specific names, uh, Brent, I haven't dived too deep into who could conceivably be out there. Um, what they'll need most. I think a big key for me at least is to see how these guys in the next two weeks, uh, at defensive tackle at linebacker at cornerback specifically, how they perform, and if and which of those three spots will be the most mandatory for them to make a deal. I kind of get the feeling that I'm leaning towards defensive tackle to, to find more of a run stuffer. I think it could be a little bit of, of a, cheaper, um, a cheaper target as opposed to linebacker or, uh, or cornerback, just because I think there's a lot of linebacker needy teams out there, which is going to heat up the market. Cornerback. There's always injuries. There's always teams looking to upgrade it at cornerback. And I, I quite like Christian Benford, and I think Dane Jackson has a, a nice little start to the season as well. And not to mention, I do think Dorian Williams has some potential at the linebacker spot. So that's why I kind of lean defensive tackle right now, but I'm definitely going to dive deep in, into names as we kind of move forward here, Brent. So thank you for your question. 
Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Uh, let's see. John, I don't know about Ndama Kung Su. Uh, I'm not sure what, what his personal plans are, but uh, we, will, we shall see. All right. Uh, let's see. Noah asked about trade deadline. We're, we're going to move past that since I kind of just addressed it. Uh, GM writes, what's worse, Ken Dor- Dorsey's utilization or changing stinky diapers? Interesting. <laughs> uh, I'll probably say the diapers thing, even though, um, you know, it's, it's a bonding time, right? You get the bond with your kid. Um, I'll, I'll say changing stinky diapers because I, I do think that Ken Dorsey has done a relatively solid job compared to what he did a year ago. You know, I've, I've been in, I've been, you know, cautiously optimistic about his chances heading into the season lot more than I was a year ago at this time. Um, and I think so far the way that he's kind of revamped some things and, and how he has utilized players, uh, in terms of time on the field, I think those are all encouraging specifically talking about Dalton Kincaid, but, oh, (laughs) GM is talking about the utilization of Dalton Kincaid. So perfect. Great segue. I think his utilization of Dalton Kincaid in terms of down the field tar- targets is confusing. And I don't know if that's a Dorsey thing. If it's how defenses are going at them, or if it's Josh Allen looking for Stefan Diggs a bunch, even when Dalton Kincaid is running routes down the field, because it's not as though Kincaid is only running routes to the flat area. It just so happens to be, when they target him the most in the flat area to try and get some yards after catch. I do think it it needs to change. Obviously it needs to become a focal point because I think this could, if they can find a way to utilize him up the seams in the intermediate middle area, uh, maybe even just past that, that first line of, of zone defense when they're up against zone, I think that could have a humongous impact on Stefan Diggs, I think it could have a humongous impact on the running game. I think it could have a humongous impact on, on Gabe Davis, even, uh, even though he's kind of the, the secondary target there. So the fact that he only has a 3.26 average air yards per target right now is something that needs to change. It, if you saw my uh, article on Monday, I think it was, that talked about his usage, Going back to 2019, since, you know, when the Bills offense really started to take shape with Josh Allen. Out of 42 Bills players since 2019 that have run at least 100 routes in a season, 
Dalton Kincaid's average air yards per target of 3.26 rates 32nd out of 42. That's according to True Media. And if you don't think that is bad enough as it is, the only players he is ahead of are all running backs. There were four Devin Singletary seasons in there, two James Cook seasons, two Zach Moss seasons. Uh, there was a TJ Yeldon in there. There was a Frank Gore in there. Like those, those average air yards per target are generally pretty low for running backs, unless you just have a ridiculous receiving running back. So the fact that he is like just about a yard ahead of the best of those running backs, not great. He is also over a yard behind the closest receiver or tight end, which was Isaiah McKenzie in both 2019 and 2020. And that was before McKenzie was a big part of the offense as a slot receiver when he was more of like the push pass guy and the jet sweep guy and, you know, the, the quick screen guy. But McKenzie was still averaging over a yard more than Kincaid uh, air yards per target. I know a lot of people wanted to say, oh, Dalton Kincaid is Cole Beasley, right? Uh, they're using him like Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley's worst season in average yards per target was over two yards more than Kincaid's. I think his at worst was 5.62, I want to say. I'm, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. But his second worst was seven yards, which is more than double of Kincaid's. So yes, I think the utilization of Kincaid needs to change. It's confusing at best. I think it's a key for them moving forward. And if they do that, I think the offense will be in really good shape. All right. Uh, Casey writes in, welcome back, Joe. Thank you. Was Elam's struggles more a product of facing Calvin Ridley, or is he actually that type of ineffective player? Uh, and Casey goes on to say, any trade they make should be for a cornerback, in my mind. The Elam game was his worst of, of his career. And I know he hasn't had too many opportunities, but it, it was visibly bad on the broadcast. And it was bad going back for a deeper look in the All-22. Ridley had his number every single time it was in man-to-man. And it wasn't just the pass coverage. It was the run fits. It was the tackling. It was just a really bad day for someone who had been on the shelf as a healthy scratch the first four weeks. And keep in mind, like, he went through the entire offseason thinking he had a great shot to be the starter if he won it. Winds up at training camp losing reps to both Christian Benford and Dane Jackson becomes a, it's a three person competition falls behind both of those guys as the summer and preseason went along to the point where Elam was playing pretty deep into the second and third preseason games. He was by the end of the preseason or right before cuts came down, he was completely out of the competition and it was down to Benford and, and Dane Jackson and so it was basically him as a distant fourth on the cornerback depth chart. And, you know, you can be the most confident person in the world, but that's, that's going to affect your mental a little bit. And then get being a healthy scratch through the first four games because he's not really a special teams contributor, that also is going to mess with you. So it was just, I think it was a perfect sort of situation. Do I think he's as bad as what he showed in that game? No, I think he's a better man coverage corner than what he showed. I think the matchup against Ridley was horrible for him in his first game back. Ridley is an outstanding route runner, the way he sets people up. But do I think Elam still would, would have struggled against lesser players in that, in that instance? I think he probably would have. So it's a little bit of a, a catch-22 here with, with Elam because I do think he's a better player than what he was. But I don't know that he's going to instantly become that starting player that, that people want him to be. I think he's better off as a depth option at this point to develop in the background and hope you can get something out of him. I do think this coming week, if Dane Jackson doesn't play because he was out both Wednesday and, and Thursday with a foot injury, 
I think it's an opportunity for Kair Elam to have a good game against an opponent that probably won't be pushing the ball down the field all that much, especially if Tyrod Taylor plays. I'm sorry, Tyrod Taylor. And having that, you know, going up against guys like Isaiah Hodgins and Darius Slayton, um, you know, I think that will lend itself to him having a little bit better of a day and, and building up his confidence a little bit, which I think will be important for them, especially if they don't make a move at the cornerback position. So it's a, I don't know that he's going to get a ton more opportunities as long as Elon, or I'm sorry, as long as Benford and, and Jackson are healthy, because I think those two guys have, have played relatively well, but I do think it's, pretty important for him to take advantage of whatever opportunities he has remaining to get on the field to show that there is something there, not only to be a serviceable depth guy in, with that third spot, or to potentially be a trade chip for them, whether it be in the offseason or you know, by, by the time the trade deadline comes around. All right, uh, let's see. Ernesto writes in, hello, Joe. Greetings from Mexico City. Love that. Do you think Dorian Williams can evolve into a matchup linebacker that can play at a sufficient level to replace Milano? The one thing that I noticed from from watching the All-22, based on right after Milano went down after the the 11th defensive snap, Dorian Williams came in, and it was very clear that Williams has a lot of raw talent. Unrefined, but a lot of raw talent. He is flying all over the field. He is playing on instincts. He is playing on hunches. And when he's right, he can make it look really freaking good. I think he's a he's got a good nose for how coverage uh, how coverage goes behind him. I mean, he had that one you know, lay out to, to break up a, a pass that, that would have been a completion. That was an outstanding play by him. But then there were other times where maybe he got caught up in a block or he missed a tackle in the open field. And so there's just a, a bit of a higher variance with him. Tyrell Dodson, on the other hand, I think is a flawed player. I think he's a solid run defender, but he's a negative as a, as a linebacker in coverage. And it really all depends on how the Bills want to play this thing. If it were me, I'm going with the upside every single time. I'm throwing Dorian Williams in and seeing if, if he can handle it. But I also think we can look at a little bit of history. And something uh, that I wrote about that we'll be posting today Uh, on Friday. I'm recording this at around 10.30 a.m. The one thing that I wrote about today is that this is kind of reminiscent of when Matt Milano was a rookie. The whole notion of uh, the whole notion of Milano in his initial season when he was getting his opportunities you could see there was just this immense talent and this is immense upside. And I want to say that Dorian Williams is comparable to what Matt Milano was as a rookie. But there's at least something there. But the Bills, regardless of that potential, they kind of stuck to their guns and they went with experience and a veteran in Ramon Humber for a very long time. It was not until... Well, Humber got injured a couple of times uh, throughout that 2017 season and it allowed Milano to to get in there and show that you know, he should probably be playing more. But it wasn't immediate. When Humber came back from his injury, it was it became a... They split snaps, but still most of them were going to Ramon Humber. And Milano would get occasional drives here and there. It wasn't until late in the season, I think it was week 14, that the Bills flipped the rotation to where Milano was the guy getting the lion's share of the reps and Humber was just mixing in uh, on on a series here, a series there. They didn't commit to full Milano in 
2017. They didn't commit to that until the 2018 season rolled around. So maybe we see something a little bit similar. I could definitely see them going at Tyrell Dodson just because he's been in their scheme since, what is it, 2019 at this point, and they know what he is. They know he's probably a run defender that can make stops at or behind the line of scrimmage because he is constantly looking to charge at the line of scrimmage whenever there is an attempt at a handoff, whether it be a play action or not, which is why it gets them into trouble in pass coverage. And then I could also see them bringing in Dorian Williams on like third downs. The way, if you remember when Milano was coming back from an injury within the last two or three years, I can't remember exactly what year it was. And they didn't want to put the full plate of work on him. They, uh, they instead had a, had one linebacker in on first and second down on those rundowns. And then they brought in Matt Mulatto on those coverage opportunities. I wonder if maybe that's a way that they play this thing to not only get Dorian Williams involved to see what he's got, to see if his role can grow, but also to kind of split the difference here between the two guys. Like I said, if it's me, I'm going Dorian Williams full on because I see potential. I want to see it in, a, in an entire role. And the way that the Bills have committed to their young, younger players this year, I think should give them confidence to be able to put another young player that they invested a pretty high pick in, in Dorian Williams, into that role. Like Most of their young picks over the last couple of years that they've put into big roles this year have worked out. Look at Christian Benford. Look at Osiris Torrance. Dalton Kincaid is playing a big role, even though he's not getting targeted down the field, which I think will change as the season goes along. Terrell Bernard, like all these guys are, are making a, a pretty good impact onto what they're doing and they're upgrading some spots for them. So that's why if it's me, I'm, I'm going full Dorian Williams, but I could definitely see Tyrell Dodson be, being the guy in the starting lineup this Sunday against the Giants. All right, let's try and get to a couple more questions. Wanted to get on the road because they have, they have practice uh, in the stadium, a little in a little bit into the eleven o'clock hour, so got to get over to the stadium for that. But uh, we got to see if they suffered any injuries on on Thursday, and see if it changes the equation at all for this coming game. All right, let me go through here. Let's see. Brent writes in again. Who's your biggest surprise through the first five weeks, and who's your biggest disappointment? The biggest surprise through the first five weeks, I think, would have to be. Pro- let me let me just look at my grades real quick. Um, I think it's probably Deion Dawkins, but in in a in a good way. The way that Deion Dawkins went through last year, it looked to me that maybe he might have been on the precipice of a slight descent in his career arc. And I wondered how he would respond heading into this year. But Dawkins has been excellent this season. And I think that has gone a long way into them affording the opportunities to Josh Allen the way that they have. Has he had some some beats so far this year? Yeah. But Deion Dawkins, to me, grades out as a top 10 player through the first five weeks of the year. And I didn't know that that was going to be the case this year. I thought maybe he might have drifted down closer to average or uh, the middle of the pack. But, you know, that is a huge thing. And I, and I do wonder how much of that has to do with him having Connor McGovern next to him, who, is, who has also had a really strong start to his season. His week one was not great. His weeks two through five were excellent. and. He is now on my season-long grades, which you can find over at The Athletic on my All-22 review. Uh, he is up to 13th uh, on, on the roster for qualifying players. It's wild. Like The offensive line might, might get this whole award in general, Brent, because you look at Dawkins, who I have graded 8th. Osiris Torrance, who was also uh, in the mix for this, graded 10th. Uh, Connor McGovern, graded 13th. Mitch Morse, having an above-average grade. Spencer Brown is the only one that has a below average grade for me, but he's still been an improvement from what he was last year. 
So for Dawkins, having McGovern next to him and having an overall better offensive line environment, I think has really, really helped him. And this is, uh, yeah, he has been the biggest, uh, biggest surprise for good reason through the first five weeks. And the biggest disappointment, I'd probably have to go with, uh, with Jordan Poyer. Um, he just hasn't been the same guy out there uh, through the first five weeks and that people are used to. He's taken some bad angles on, on some plays. Uh, he's taken some, uh, he's taken some bad penalties. He's gotten caught in coverage. He's gotten caught playing a hunch. That type of stuff didn't really happen before. He, you know, maybe that knee injury is making him a little bit of a step slower, but this is so far has been the worst start to his season. I will say Micah Hyde has had a, a really good start to his season. Maybe not to the level that he was earlier in his career, but still good in his own right. But Poyer to me is someone that can um, definitively help with their current defensive problems. And if he can step it up and become closer to the player that he was last year, the year before, then I think it can help mask some of the problems that they may have. But if he is a step slow or continue, you know, it's always a tricky thing when you get a little bit older in your career because you take the same angles you always had, but at the same point, maybe you don't have that same speed you always had to where those angles that used to work for you no longer work for you especially when you're in pursuit, like a safety usually is. So that to me is something that I think can improve, but we shall see how the season kind of goes here. All right, next up we have, let's see. Grant writes in, I'm curious about your thoughts of Sean McDermott's control of the defense as compared to Leslie Frazier. I think we've seen a little bit more aggressiveness in terms of which four players are rushing at the quarterback because it a lot it was it felt a little bit more boilerplate with Leslie Frazier uh, in the past, specifically on third downs where it was kind of the okay rush four, drop uh, a big old curtain of players at the first down marker, keep everything in front of you, tackle. Uh, and and get off the field, force a punt. McDermott wants to force turnovers. He wants to force negative plays. He wants to force bad decisions. And one way of doing that, while still only rushing four, is to dial up more unique blitzes on, on third down. So I think that's that's the one piece. I am curious how he handles life without Matt Milano here. I did notice they were trying to send a little bit more pressure to take pressure off the back end. But I wonder if maybe that's there's going to be an overcorrection here to where they're just going to let the defensive line do their thing, especially with Rousseau possibly coming back, Shaq Lawson possibly coming back. Um, in fact, I, I'm kind of expecting those two guys to. Uh, not reporting that, but it, it, it seems to be trending in that way. Um, and having Leonard Floyd there, having A.J. Epinesa still uh, able to chip in, Having Von Miller ramp up a little bit here, relying on those guys and Ed Oliver, um, I think will be important for them moving forward. And maybe they just allow the back seven to be the actual back seven, drift into coverage, help each other, and try and uh, limit as much as they can uh, from that perspective, even though they're a little bit down in terms of not having Tredavious White, not having Matt Milano, not having uh, Daquan Jones, Jordan Poyer looking a little bit slower. Uh, than than he had been in previous years, so these are that might be an element of change that we see uh, rather than sending five six on, on third downs. So that that is that's one thing I'm kind of curious about it as we go forward here. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Nicholas writes, I wouldn't mind another wide receiver. Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy in Denver, maybe Curtis Samuel in Washington. I understand the sentiment. I really do. I don't know that I necessarily agree. Last year, if you listen to this podcast, you're like, okay, Joe, stop talking about adding a wide receiver because I was relentless and I, I apologize and I don't apologize for that. Just because you could tell they were missing something. And by the time the trade deadline was gone and, and you know, they were still going through the same doldrums on offense, that's when you started to see them cycle basically everybody through the slot receiver position. They brought the ghost of Cole Beasley back from retirement and gave him a ton of snaps uh, down the stretch last year. They were trying to work Jamison Crowder back to, to uh, be able to come back from injury. Khalil, Sh- Khalil Shakur, I'm sorry, Khalil Shakur, Shakir, sorry. <laughs> I was told it's not uh, Khalil, it's Khalil Shakir. So that's why I'm stumbling over it a little bit. Um, Isaiah McKenzie didn't work out. But they have addressed that by bringing in three different players that I think can help them do a little bit of different things. Kincaid is the piece, though. Kincaid should trump any possible uh, wide receiver that they would go after because I genuinely believe that he can be a difference maker just by opening up things for the offense, opening up things for the running game, for Diggs, for Davis, for, for Dawson Knox, for Josh Allen even, even running lanes for Josh Allen on a scramble. As soon as they unlock him a little bit, like I said, down the seams, past that first line of linebacker defenses against zone, targeting him at or just a little bit ahead of the sticks rather than you know in the flat, I think will go a long way to making him a much more effective piece. So I'm I'm looking for them to get Dalton Kincaid involved in lieu of trading for a receiver. If they're trading for something, at least where we're standing right now, it's got to be a defensive piece. And we'll see how injuries kind of shake out as as uh, we get closer to the deadline. Like maybe you know, something happens to an offensive lineman or something like that, like that, but they still have good depth. Possibly if one of the offensive tackles goes down. I think that that could be one that immediately enters the mix here. But I would tend to think that defense ahead of wide receiver. like Kincaid is a really talented player, and they need to utilize him better. And they also have Deontay Hardy, Trent Sherfield to mix in, and I think those two guys are are talented in their own right. And Hardy... I don't know that people have the full scope of what he has done for the offense so far, but he has been able to take the top off the defense to allow things to open up underneath a a few different times on film this season. So I think from this point forward, um, I would tend to stick with what they have unless we get more information that someone has gone from that equation or, uh, or they Definitely need need something to to uh, provide some life for this offensive team. All right, let's see. I've got time for one more. This is a really long question, but I think it's about Kyle Duggar uh, being available for a trade. Um, Kyle Duggar, who is the Patriot safety and someone that the Bills were very interested in. Uh, in his draft year. I like the notion of it, but I don't know how it it fixes things because Micah Hyde is still going to be a piece of the puzzle. They're not going to sit down Jordan Poyer. I don't think that they would move Kyle Duggar down to the linebacker spot or anything like that. Um, Taylor Rapp is still kind of around. It just kind of feels, without 
diving too deep in into his film to see exactly all his roles and responsibilities, it feels like a little bit of an overkill situation. Um, now, might he be a target in free agency for them if uh, when he gets there? I think absolutely. After his rookie deal is done, if he hits free agency, but having him just as another defensive piece when where there isn't really a vacancy right now, because like I said, they're not going to bench Jordan Poyer. It's just not going to happen. And bringing someone in to be borderline depth, maybe he has a role. I don't know. Another one, one uh, idea you brought up was being Taron Johnson's primary backup, but that has now gone to Cam Lewis. And I think they, that they like Cam Lewis in that nickel position. Uh, if if they need to, a lot more than they do at safety or at boundary cornerback. So I'm probably saying that that's an idea that could exist in free agency, but trade deadline, probably not so much. Okay, I'm going to sneak in one more time. One, one more question. Let's see here. Uh, sorry, reading on the fly. First one of these live rooms, so, so bear with me. Uh, Arendt wrote, uh, Joe, congrats on the baby. Please have more talks with fans. We missed you. Thank you. Uh, oh, it's from Jim A. Okay. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate you. Hmm. Some talk about Josh being under center. And I think that that's a good place to end because I think this has kind of become a bit of a, a popular topic. I do think it, it helps them utilize play action a lot more effectively. I don't love when they go empty set on, you know, third and long, because I think that that really limits what they can do. And it, and it kind of puts them behind the eight ball a little bit. Occasionally it's fine. Too much is too much. But Josh being under center and utilizing play action is, is certainly something that can help them moving forward. But a lot of that is dependent on if, if the running game is going that day as to whether or not the, the opposing offense is going to respect. Um, regardless, if the running game is going, it's still good just to, you know, dummy it up and, and do that play action because if you get, get the linebacker to hesitate just a little bit, I think that's that's a key here. But, but yeah, I, I think I agree with you that it needs to be incorporated a little bit more and they've had some success with it. So now it's just a matter of, Okay, how does Dorsey want to play this thing? How does he want to pivot off what he has done? Because he has had success. Even the Jaguars game, he had success. The only game he really didn't have success in was the Jets game. And that's because Josh Allen kind of imploded here. So I don't know. I'm not like, I kind of let off the show with this, with one of the questions we had, but I'm not overly concerned about the offense. I think the offense is in a, in a pretty good state right now. There were bits and pieces of that Jaguars game to me that I'm like, oh, guys are guys are running open. It's well schemed play. James Cook dropped a pass on third down. Dawson Knox dropped a pass on third down. Gabe Davis dropped a pass on second down. This offensive lineman um, didn't pick up the right guy. These are all correctable issues. It's not like a a fatal flaw of where the Jaguars were in this cover two shell or quarters or whatever what whatever the the defense du jour is and it's like oh well the bills can't move the ball no they were moving the ball they uh, josh allen was getting the ball out of his hand quickly um and by doing that they were getting the defense to kind of come down and then they hit him over the top a couple of times like these are all things elements that they have been doing in previous games that were still there just the execution was asleep <laughs> uh, more than anything so yes, I think the offense right now, like you can say, all right, put them under center more. That'll help. I think I think there is something to that. But in terms of being overly concerned about what we've seen, the only thing that I think should change about the offense right now is maybe a little bit more under center, but more than anything, higher involvement down the field of Dalton Kincaid. I cannot stress that enough. I think it is a key for this offense being able to open things up in a big way. 
Um, and if they are able to do that, then I think this is this could be one of the most prolific offenses all season long um, in the NFL. So we shall see if that changes. All right. I think that's going to do it. Um, oh, it's the preview episode. I have to do the, the Shaq Lawson meditation prediction hour. I mean, you haven't had that for a few weeks here. Uh, so we will, uh, I will do that. The, let me check the odds real quick. Gotta love checking things on the fly on, on a live podcast. Um, the Bills, of course, are favorites against the Giants. The line is them favored by 14 and a half. And uh, the total on the game is 44 and a half. I will take the Bills to win this game. I will take the Bills to cover the spread. And I will also take the over. Because I think there's a few things that stand out in terms of the Giants having a really uh, undesirable uh, outlook as to who they're playing uh, in this game based on injuries against the strength of the Bills. That being the Giants' offensive line against the Bills' defensive ends and defensive pass-rushing defensive tackles. I think that's a huge, huge weakness for the Giants, and I expect the Bills to exploit that. The Giants also don't get a ton of pressure on the opposing quarterback, and that, to me, is a, is a giant red flag here. No pun intended, sorry. I really did not mean that. Um, is a big red flag here in terms of them being able to keep this Bills team from scoring a bunch of points in this one. This kind of has the feel of a get-right game based on what we saw in the Jaguars film and how they kind of miss some opportunities. I feel like the the Bills are are going to put up a bunch of points in this game. And Now, don't be surprised if Terod Taylor is starting that the Giants move the ball more than you think they will because he's a lot of timing, short stuff, uh, accuracy, and they have a lot of these short uh, short route receivers like Wandale Robinson, Paris Campbell, uh, that, that can really exploit things from the underneath. But eventually, I think it's going to yield like field goals, maybe a later in the game touchdown, but I don't think it'll be anything tangible enough to make the Bills worry past like the, the second quarter or something like that. So even if the Giants come out a little bit hotter than you think they would, which I think definitely has potential of happening, I'm expecting this Bills offense to just get right back on track, have a huge game, uh, the offensive line to have a good output against this defensive line, which has struggled to, to generate pressure. I think the secondary is, is going to struggle against these receivers. And, and yeah, so I'm taking the Bills to win, the Bills to cover, and the over of the game. All right, that's going to do it for me. Thank you, everyone, for participating in this maiden voyage of, at least for me, the Bills preview podcast of a live room edition. I did not figure out how to tweet the link on the fly, so hopefully we'll get some some more comments and stuff in next time when I actually figure that out. It's an it's an evolution process, you know. I'm not perfect. Gotta gotta figure it out here, but we will we will get to that. And of course, the Bills are taking on the Giants on Sunday, and that is when I will talk with you all next after the game. Like I said, thank you so much for all to all of you for. Uh, for your kindness of welcoming back, welcoming me, welcoming me back over the last week, it's been really humbling and, and awesome to see, and awesome to hear from from all of you that uh, have uh, said all those nice things. So that'll do it for me. My name is Joe Vascalia. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time.